Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, college football writer with the Associated Press. We don't do Super Bowl previews around here because we're a college football podcast. But I am interested in talking today about the two quarterbacks who will be playing in the big game and their development into NFL stars. Ian Wharton, whose analysis and breakdowns can be found at Pro Football Network, joins the show to talk about what makes Patrick Mahomes special and how Jalen Hurts emerged as a potential MVP. Plus, we'll talk about this year's NFL draft class led by Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Will Levis, plus the mystery that is Florida's Anthony Richardson as an NFL prospect. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please give us a good review and rating. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week on the show, first-time guest. Very much appreciate his time. Very much appreciate his work. You can follow him on Twitter. Ian Wharton um, at NFL Study, right? At NFL Study on Twitter. And you can find his work at uh, Pro Football Network. Ian, nice to meet you. Uh, again, fo- followed you for years. Enjoy your breakdowns and your threads on quarterbacks especially. Uh, and appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Ralph. I'm super excited to, to join you. It's such a great part of the year. We got, you know, a couple of these big games, obviously the Super Bowls left and in the wake of college football playoff and everything, just, you know, it's high stakes and it's really fun getting to go back now and kind of look at some of the guys maybe didn't see or maybe overlooked during the craziness of, you know, both football seasons. So, um, yeah, I love this time of year. It's just, it's really, really fun. It's fun to get wrapped up in the rumors and stuff that's going on and until the point where it's exhausting, but then like you miss it <laughs> as soon as the draft is done. Like I just miss it immediately. So I don't really do a Super Bowl preview on this show because we're a college football show. However, I could not help but watch the couple of games this past weekend. And I know the NFC game was a dud uh, and the AFC game was really good. And to sort of watch Patrick Mahomes do what he did and see Jalen Hurts' development um, into a star quarterback over the last couple of years, I just found myself thinking, I, I want to talk more about these two guys. Like, I'm not really concerned about who's going to win the Super Bowl or who's going to do this or break down, but I just want to talk about these two amazing players and and sort of through the lens of their development what we thought of them and what they became and and maybe how that happened um you know, I know, you know, the Patrick Mahomes uh, t- topic and conversation maybe for some can get like drawn out. But again, like I haven't, you know, Patrick Mahomes hasn't been in college in six years. So not for me, it does it like so I was kind of interested in in talking about these two players. And we'll talk about the draft and the, the current draft class of quarterbacks. But let's just sit on the Super Bowl quarterbacks here for a second. I want you to sort of go back in the time machine, Ian, and think about what you thought of Patrick Mahomes coming out of college and why maybe he became what he became like what 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 has he become as a pro yeah he was thankfully he was probably my biggest hit of doing this in like last like, oh I did see, okay like, so now so but by the way folks that's this is not a plant I didn't I didn't yeah. realize that like Ian was super high on Mahomes coming out because even though he was drafted at 10 I think a lot of people you know that was the Mitch Trubisky draft and it's easy to say the Bears should have drafted Deshaun 
or Patrick Mahomes, but there was a lot of people who thought that Kansas City was a stretch taking Mahomes at 10 over Deshaun Watson. So what did you like about him in college? Yeah, so I even like distinctively, I remember doing like a mock draft at the time I was with Bleacher Report and I put Mahomes two. I think it was two. I can't remember who was picking two if Chicago had made that trade yet. Um, but I put Mahomes two and like people just freaked out. And like I just fell in love with his ability to put the ball in the perfect window off of these crazy throwing platforms. Like it was as if you were watching Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M except for like without Mike Evans making everything look so effortless, like everything that you could see Aaron Rodgers doing in the NFL, Mahomes was doing it except for like with a much worse surrounding cast. And so you could just see like him overcoming these mechanical things that like, yeah, maybe we want to tighten these up, but like the natural accuracy that he has and like kind of like what I fall in love with with quarterbacks is these guys that don't have to be, mechanically pure to be accurate and to lead guys in the right direction and to protect the ball, even on high risk throws. Like it's almost like you're watching and and Joe Burrow was another really good example of this where like you, you didn't think that throw was possible, but he's routinely making those throws look like it's just part of his arsenal. And it, it obviously grew in the NFL, but he was still doing that at Texas Tech and people just kind of dismissed it because it was a lower level of competition. It was the Big 12, right? Like, oh, he's just a product of like the Big 12. And it's like, no, like you put that ball in the same spot in the NFL. It doesn't matter who's defending him. There's just no way to defend that. It's just a perfect pass. And he was continually doing that. He was really, really good under pressure. Um, so I chart all of these guys like as of like what's accurate, what's catchable, what's not. And so I've been, I have a nice database of about 10 years of guys like that. And Mahomes is pretty close to the top in all of those um, and again, doing that with a lower surrounding cast, like it's easy to say like, okay, Tua did that because he's surrounded by first rounders. But like when Holmes does that and the way he's doing it, it just all came into like this beautiful package of just, I love the aesthetic of his game. And then also all of the numbers and then everything that I was looking at kind of married it to say like, this is a really, really great prospect. And I was still too low on him. Miles <laughs> Garrett ahead of him in my mock draft. Like I should have not done that. That was so silly in retrospect. But you just couldn't imagine that he would continue on this trajectory. You know, it's interesting you talk about being dismissed. And I don't know if I dismiss Mahomes. Like, I'm not a draft guy. I I always try to steer clear of saying, like, you know, I'll give my opinions, but I don't watch the game like a scout. And clearly he was a super talented player who I was really interested to see, you know, what what becomes of him. But I think I... I fell into the bucket of what you talked about as far as he's playing at the Big 12 at the height of Big 12 offensive mania. Like he was in that period where, I mean, Baylor had five or six guys who were just putting up like crazy numbers and never really even getting a sniff in the NFL. So I think it was, even though clearly he was athletically different, I'll plead guilty, and I think a lot of us did, to sort of saying that like, well... I don't know if we appreciated him as much in college as we should have. Oh, at least I didn't. I'll definitely cop to like I did not appreciate watching him in college, um, even though he was doing some crazy stuff. But I, I just didn't real like really embrace like boy, like this is really special what he's doing. In part because you'd look at the numbers and you'd see other guys doing some similar things or other Texas Tech quarterbacks, and so. Yeah, he definitely was sort of hidden in plain sight to a certain degree in the Big 12. And 
it sort of ex- explains why he slipped a little bit in the draft. Did you also, uh, I also wonder, like, is there an alternative universe where he doesn't go to Kansas City and it doesn't work out as well? Because he also was put into a really great situation where he got to sit for a year and he's got a great coaching staff. Because I think there's become more and more of, as we watch these quarterbacks develop, you. I think there's a lot of like, well... He's not going into a great situation. So I know it's hard to project as far as like, you know, what didn't happen and it's very speculative. But do you, you know, can you sort of see a world where things turn out different for him because he didn't end up in Kansas City? I think so. Maybe, maybe not like in terms of where he would get eventually, but maybe it takes longer or maybe the peak isn't quite as fast or as high. Um, So going to like Andy Reid is a tremendous blessing to go to a team with one of the you know best offensive lines for a few years is huge. Getting Steve Spagnolo as a defensive court. You know, it's like all these things kind of fell into place. Getting Tyreek Hill, it's a fifth rounder, like developing into a number one receiver so fast. Like those things all contribute to helping a guy. Like we kind of saw that with Daniel Jones, even with the Giants. Like even someone like as great as Mahomes, who I, I literally think he's the best talent to ever play quarterback. Like he is so immensely gifted and what he's doing is just so special you still have to have help and we saw that with josh allen this year too like when things broke down around him a little bit of course he's going to struggle a little bit like it's ultimately it's a team game everything affects everything i think a less ideal situation maybe mahomes goes to cleveland because cleveland was interested in him that year and kansas city had to jump to get mahomes well Mm -hmm. if he goes to cleveland maybe that's a whole lot different of a story like maybe he's still really, really good, but maybe it takes three or four years as opposed to being year two in a Super Bowl. So I do think that historically, as we look back on the legacy of these guys, being able to play in his second year, maximizing that first year behind Alex Smith, too, who was a great role model, like dream guy that you want in front of him, playing for an all-time coach, like those things are just things that like, how can you not look at that and say it had to have been helpful? But that's also not to diminish his greatness, too, because I because I find myself right. these days, you know, we do this weird thing as sports fans. I, I don't know. We but sports fans kind of I notice more and more do this weird thing where everybody wants to sort of tap the brakes. Well, let's tap the brakes on this guy. Oh, he hasn't won enough yet. Oh, he hasn't done this yet. Like, I don't think that's fun. <laughs> like, like yeah. Patrick Mahomes, like, why not appreciate Patrick Mahomes for as amazing as he is like I'm not here to tap the brakes I'm totally here for the fun of watching this guy do things on a football field which very few people if any can do and certainly can't do with the amount of frequency that he does them I I guess the one thing I'd ask you sort of to sum up you know Mahomes is as you've watched him develop as you know as an NFL quarterback where are the things that maybe if you had a couple, obviously you were super high on him, that you noticed that, okay, here's here's where he has actually become not just the most talented quarterback we've ever seen, but maybe, you know, has a, has has but has also mastered the game. Where are the, where are the places where maybe there was some uncertainty about you? Like, oh, I need to see him be able to do this. And he has now done that. Yeah, I think his his efficiency outside the pocket, like he leads the NFL basically in every metric outside of the pocket. And you saw that at Texas Tech, but to become the guy, to become so good at, to become a guy that can literally carry an offense on third and fourth downs with his ability to create, 
and deliver accurate passes under pressure, even while injured. And even with kind of like a ragtag group of receivers outside Travis Kelsey, like that level of polish, his confidence, um, and just his consistency, like at that level, I think that's where he, you saw it in flashes, right? And like, you're, you're kind of betting on that flash overcoming the bad, but we've seen time and time again, that guys don't ever put that together. Like Cam Newton never puts that fully together in the NFL. He's really, really great, but he never fully masters it and harnesses that. And Mahomes has really harnessed that chaos and thriving and chaos. And, and I think he really seeks it out because he knows he's so good at it. And we saw that in the championship game too. On like, it was like a fourth and one. He had a dump off pass that would have gone like three or four yards. He doesn't, he extends it for like 15 yards to Travis Kelsey. And it's just like, you have supreme confidence that he's going to make that decision and connect on that pass every single time. And I also think pre-snap, he's just really, really sharp. Does a, and some of this is from Reed's offensive design. Like they make things like a lot of pre-snap motion to kind of help show the coverages. There's a lot of balance in the offense. So there's things that help make it easier for him. But at times at Texas Tech, you could see that like he was kind of playing into what the defense wanted sometimes with his turnovers. Um, he protected the ball really well, but I thought he was going to be a higher interception guy than what he's been in the NFL. He's protected the ball a lot better than what I thought coming out of Tech just because of he seemed like the guy that would just be really, really risky. And that was the obvious concern a lot of people had is that he's just going to turn the ball over like a, a – a force, but he immediately cut down on that as soon as he started getting experience. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's 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 interesting the way his career has has uh, the trajectory of his career. In that, again, we talk about how he had such a great situation at the beginning, and then in his last game, it could not have been more. Um, of a breakdown around him, right? Like the receivers are getting hurt left and right. Kelsey's got a back. They, you know, he's hobbling around and he's, you know, and, you know, you watch this guy so much these days, you see the things missing from his game when that ankle wasn't working, like the spin out of pressure type of movement or just taking off and running, which he has done and at times taken over playoff games doing it. Like everything was sort of stacked against him in his last game. And now he's become the quarterback that rises above everything else and sort of drags the team along with him. Again, I, you know, I'm not here to tap the brakes on Patrick Mahomes. I'm not here to discuss who's the GOAT all time because I think those those arguments are silly of how many rings you have. But I just know that like this guy is unbelievably special. And I, I am totally here for just enjoying him all the time. Now I want to just run over to Jalen Hurts for a second because he was a guy who starts as a freshman at Alabama and immediately has incredible success as a freshman at Alabama. But there's always sort of it during his college career, this idea of like, well, you know, does this, how, how will he translate to the NFL? What about his accuracy? What about all the things, the nuances of the passing game? He was such a, sort of a, a run heavy quarterback, even at a, a, even at Alabama, he goes to Oklahoma. That part of his game expands a little bit, but again, you're sort of faced with a little big 12 thing going on there, but also man, everybody Lincoln Riley touches and puts in that offense turns to gold. So like, what am I really seeing here with Jay? Jalen Hurts becomes a second round draft pick. And, you know, I, I think the, like the, the sort of amazing thing to me about Hurts is if you were to look back a few years ago and I would have told you Hurts is going to be better than Tua, you would have been like, no way. But like, here we are. 
And so what is it about Hertz? Like, what was it about him coming out that you thought maybe this could work or maybe it's maybe he's just sort of a career backup? Yeah, I, I loved he was almost like Dak Prescott, like his career at college almost went like the same kind of arc where started out more of like a runner, pretty erratic as a passer, even though he was successful, like he was more of like a moldable piece of clay. And you're just like, okay, he's got the tools, but like, how do we get him to point Z? And by the time his junior senior season rolls around, he got so much better in every single facet throughout his career. Every single year, there was little improvements and he became a really good short passer and his intermediate accuracy was a little bit better and better. His deep accuracy was at least respectable. And you could say, okay, like he's got the talent to do it. Like maybe we can get him there or we just don't build an offense that really highlights that. And then you say, okay, like, how can we get him to anticipate receivers coming open a little bit more? Some of that was just the offensive concerns. Like you said, like Alabama to Oklahoma, like you're, you don't need to anticipate anything. Like you're going to see guys wide open basically within two or three seconds of the snap. So some of that's like, what can he do that we're not seeing and what is he not doing? Because it's just not given to him as an option within the offense. So he has definitely developed in the NFL. And I think there's definitely been, um, some of that continued mindset where we're just going to build on little things and we're going to continue to build on those little things because he has the aptitude to continue getting better, like 5% better in each of these categories. And so he, to me, the biggest like positive on him was not only that, but also just his intelligence. He takes care of the football so extremely well, especially for a dual threat guy, like doesn't put the ball on the ground, doesn't throw a lot of interceptions, doesn't even give defenders a chance he recognizes coverages very quickly. I think that plays into it like pre-snap. And also as soon as the, the snap happens, he's reading what the defense does and he sees it with really, really great clarity. And so I think he, his special ability, you combine it with amazing physical traits, but like his special ability, I think is in his mind where he's just winning the game before defenses even have the chance to pl- make a play on the ball. And so he wins in a little bit of a different way, but then he also stacks like a four or five speed, on it and then also a really strong arm that's pretty accurate i would definitely say he's like an above average guy as far as accuracy in the nfl and then he just happens to have like the best scheme possible made for him with like two star receivers so like the, the, the team again like you go back to like what does the surrounding cast do for him he does a really good job feeding the ball to uh, guys in space he plays to their strengths as well and i think it's just again like goes back to his awareness and his intelligence like seeing his career unfold this way it's kind of been like the best case possible for anyone that started in college his first year because you looked at him it's like man alabama just needs a a passing quarterback like i remember thinking that it's like okay cool like hurts is good but imagine if they had someone like tua right right (laughs) and then it's like i think we all thought that and literally saw it by the end of 2017 right that was that was exactly what went on they needed more in the passing game in that championship game against georgia and they flipped it to tua and all of a sudden it unlocked all these incredible receivers that they had yeah. And so for, for him to overcome that, and I think um, just to continue to get better and to land where he's landed and, and work with the guys that he's worked, it's it's been like kind of like the perfect trip. And and maybe it goes completely sideways if he doesn't transfer to Oklahoma. Maybe if he goes to, you know, I don't know, Michigan instead, maybe maybe things don't happen that way or, you know, Stanford or whatever, like where like they have good development, but they don't have like that level of development. Um so he's been a he's been a great case where like what happens if you take a non-traditional path and you enter college as a really raw guy, but you're actually given leash to develop and you're actively 
improving little things as opposed to like just focusing on one major thing. Did you, what what kind of grade did you have him coming out as? Because he was a high second round draft pick. And I think that may have surprised a few folks. You know, I I don't know if it was necessarily stunning, but I want to say he was maybe one of the first couple of picks of the second round. So that was high enough where I think it made people go, oh, okay, that's, that's an interesting pick. That's, that's a little bit of a developmental pick, but yeah, there's a, there's a ceiling there. What about you? What did you have him when you were sort of uh, figuring out his draft prospects? Yeah, I, I had him as a day two guy, um, second, third rounder, like in that range. And I, I think Hertz was kind of des- – I think he was going to be like a third or fourth rounder. And then he goes to the senior bowl. And that's where we as outsiders just can't account for like how smart these guys are. Cause, because that's when coaches had the chance to really grill these guys on the X's nose, find out their football intelligence, find out their football character, their personal character – and I think that's where he just dominated. And I think that has a large part in his success is he just has that mentality. He sees the, you know, sees things for how they need to be seen to have be successful. And obviously he can explain away his, 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 or explain his way around a whiteboard. And I think guys that go later that we don't expect to go later are probably not being able to accomplish that same feat. And so that articulation, that way that he is able to, um, Kind of, and I think this again goes back to you worked with the guys that he worked with in college is probably a big part of that. But his ability to kind of describe what he needs to do in his job on every play goes a long way in that. And so I think day two was right for him. I mean, you, I don't know how you could justify taking him in the first at the time because he wasn't uber athletic in terms of like his pocket playmaking. Like, look at how Bryce Young is super. Um, agile in the pocket Hertz mm-hmm. wasn't really that he's mm-hmm. a downhill runner mm-hmm. he's not very like side to side agile so like he's not like the most explosive guy but he's a great runner in a different way he's not the most accurate guy compared to um you know take bridgewater or Tua, like guys like that but he wins in other ways right so he's, he's kind of a non-traditional prospect and he had a non-traditional route being a senior too like that affects it too um generally guys come out early when they're great prospects so like the whole package just made him very unique and in retrospect, obviously, he would have been top five pick. But at the time, the Eagles were pretty bold to take him where they did, even if he was certainly a day two prospect. Yeah, he's a, you know, there's an interesting. So I'm going to oversimplify where I think the quarterback situation is now. I'm, I am 52 years old, so I have seen an, an interesting evol- evolution of the quarterback position. And I will overly simplify it as at some point. Football coaches realized, you know what? The guy who has the ball in every play, maybe he should be the best athlete on the field. And it it, it seems like the hurt Hurts and Mahomes and Allen, I, am I oversimplifying that there? That there were suddenly, whether it was maybe in the early 2000s, at some point or another, somebody got the idea that like, oh, yeah. That guy should be a great athlete, too. And I know there were great athletes before. There was John Elway and Steve Young. But I just I just feel like, you know, football in general never really embraced the idea of, yeah, like it, the best athlete on your team, teach him how to throw. Like, that's the way to go because that guy has the ball all the time. And it's just so fun right now in the NFL and in college football especially to sort of see that that is truly being embraced. The idea that have one of the best athletes on your team be the quarterback. Am I oversimplifying things that way? No, I don't think so. Like, to me, like the most recent guy that kind of changed the landscape in the NFL was Josh Allen. Like mm-hmm. him developing – 
made it to where you probably can't have a Kirk Cousins and expect to win a Super Bowl. You, like the cutoff now is probably around whoever the eighth or ninth best quarterback in the NFL is. Like that might be Deshaun Watson. Um, so anyone that's not as good as that or better probably can't win you a Super Bowl unless if you have just an absurd team, like just a, a once in a you know lightning in a bottle type of roster. Uh, I know there's been examples, but over the last five to seven years, like it's just really changed. And Mahomes been a, has been a part of that too. Now I think you really do have to have a really great athlete because the creation ability is so impactful and it's just so meaningful as defenses continue to evolve. Defenses are doing a better job stopping these guys because they're playing more too, too high coverage, more zone looks. They're trying to make you nickel and dime down the field more. So that's starting to expose more mistakes because there's more plays. So you're trying to increase like the, the, the chance of variance and like the chance of risk as opposed to like more aggressive man coverages that allow big plays over the top. So as that changes, Offenses have to change and getting just guys who can create or just having a cannon of an arm to take advantage of that sliver of a window that you see. That's exactly what you're describing. And I think that we're going to continue to see just even greater freaks uh, continue to get a shot. And that's pretty exciting. And I think this class kind of has at least one of those guys. Uh, where maybe traditionally, maybe he wouldn't have been given a chance at quarterback. Well, is that Bryce? Um, so are you talking about Bryce Young because of his size? I would actually say Anthony Richardson. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I mean, talk about the the biggest athletic freak. But let's okay. Let's let's transition into talking about this class because, you know, I think there's a there's a general consensus that you're looking at Young, Stroud, Levis as sort of a top three, and Richardson as a wild card. And you're right. I mean, Richardson is just a crazy athlete, and I and I do find myself thinking Josh Allen. Because there was so much skepticism about Allen coming out of Wyoming, I think part of that was because maybe he was a little bit of a late bloomer who didn't come up through the quarterback industrial complex, right? He wasn't like a 13-year-old getting, five, you know, you know, five days a week, you know, personal training. So maybe that was, was something that held him back there. But anyway... You know, Richardson is without question sort of the wild card here. Let's maybe sit on him for a second and, and explain why he is such a wild card with such variance. Yeah, I think he kind of checks a lot of the red flags, right, where it's a one-year starter. He had a really low completion percentage. Like the face value of those two things are extremely meaningful in the context of if you were to build a database of what it takes, like the Bill Parcells, uh, what it takes to be a good NFL quarterback, he would fail both of those metrics by far because he wanted a three or four year starter. He wanted to complete, you know, X percent. But then you really watch Richardson and some of the context around those numbers are crazy. Like they were down to their sixth string receiver, you know, by Florida State game. They didn't have a scholarship receiver besides, you know, Ricky Pearsall at the end there. Like they had guys just dropping balls left and right. I, I tallied over 30 drops for them this season and, and that's not even including like throwaways um, and intentional, th- you know, balls that were just thrown away. So like when you start to factor those things in, I think his real completion percentage his real catchable pass rate is kind of like the way I would say it is much more inflated. Like it's not his 50, I think it was like 52% or something of passes he completed. It's not representative of his actual accuracy. And so you kind of have to add those contexts to, to it. And then also the, the nature of the offense, like that's an aggressive offense. They were continually attacking intermediate to deep routes looking for big plays creating space for him to run that was a byproduct of the offense there's very little action on screens 
There's very little action on timing routes on like quick slants, things that are easy completions that guys in the past were just boosting their numbers to crazy. I mean, we see it in so many air raid offenses, 70% completion rate. Well, it's like, okay, like 80% of your passes were within five yards. So, I mean, it's good, but it's a different style of offense. So of course your, your completion rate is going to drop. You continue to go deeper downfield. And so I think Richardson, when I look at him, I see the misses. There's a handful of misses every game that are just rocket launcher throws over the middle of the field that have to be brought down probably, you know, a couple feet. But there's also just as many plays where he's on the run, off balance, under pressure, moving to one side, and he's putting them all, the ball 15 yards down the field, on the money, in the chest to a receiver that he couldn't afford to put it anywhere else. And so it goes back to almost like Josh Allen. Like you saw what you wanted to see, Patrick Mahomes. If you put faith into that, and a lot of this, I think, comes down to the person who is Anthony Richardson. If he's going to be the guy to go to a situation where a coach is going to grind him and continue to work with those mechanics, and he's going to be a guy that can soak it up and is just capable of soaking those in and applying it consistently, then I think if you have some good patience with him, he can hopefully clear some of those things up. He might also be like Cam Newton. Cam Newton never cleared that issue up, and Cam Newton was a far superior college player uh one arguably one of the best of all time and he never really cleared up all those issues in the nfl too and i it's certainly not for lack of what work ethic it's just what the human individual human is like capable of achieving so some of those you just don't know until you know but i would rather put my faith in someone that could get me to a top eight quarterback because i've seen him do it i've seen him consistently make big plays and put the ball in the right spot almost like you did with mahomes it just wasn't three years of it like I didn't see the three-year progression because he didn't stay in school that long. I'm not going to punish him for that per se, mm-hmm. but it is a, a byproduct is where like I could look at Mahomes' soft, sophomore tape and see the massive progressive to his junior year tape. I think Richardson probably would have been a lot better player in a year or two for now if he would have gone back. But I also can't blame him for taking like top 10 money and going to work with an NFL staff yeah. so he's not constantly under pressure. Yeah, especially because I think you, a lot of times another factor that comes into play when guys decide whether they should go pro. I mean, there's there's sort of the, what's the quarterback class look like? Where do I fall in? But there's also, what does my college team look like next year? Uh, and I don't know if Florida looks a whole lot better next year than they did this year. Even if there's better talent and more health and things along those lines, now it's, hey, I got a bunch of new receivers and maybe we're tweaking things on offense. And like, this is not necessarily going to be great for my growth either. So let me just go work with NFL teams. Okay. Got a few minutes here. Um, Again, you have those top three. With the consensus top three, who is who's who's your favorite out of the young Stroud Levis crowd? Um, I would say probably Stroud, and I'm saying that in that I'm a little bit banking on what we saw against Georgia and Utah. If I were to look at his regular season work, you know, you have concerns there because he's not really that playmaker. He doesn't. He's not super comfortable under pressure he doesn't really look to utilize his athleticism as well as i would like to see but then he goes against georgia and it's the best game of his career you know he has these, this game against utah where it's like is that ryan day just letting him go and just letting him kind of play freely or is there a reason why in the first half especially in some of these big games he's he's a little bit more you know unsure and he's not really going for these big plays so i think that there's a great physical skill there within stroud i think he's a high floor player um i think he has probably a higher ceiling than 
uh, Bryce Young. And so I would probably go with him because I like his traditional pocket passing. I think he's just super accurate. Uh, then I would probably go with Young. I think Young is a, pl- a plug-and-play guy. Like He's going to play 2023, high-floor type of guy. I almost look at him as like a Kyler Murray, but minus so the, the, 10%. The size doesn't bother you. I mean, not just. I mean, I've stood next to Bryce a few times. He, he's just simply yeah. not a big guy. Now that, that that's going away a little bit in the NFL. Again, that traditional. But we see what maybe some disadvantages like when for Kyler Murray and for Baker Mayfield and guys like that. And you know, there there's it does help to be a little taller than he is. It does. And I am concerned about it for sure. And and because like I look at Kyler's lack of success in the NFL and he's been successful, but not like that. He's, I don't know if he's been like justified number one overall pick. Right. And I think Young is probably 10 percent less explosive as he is. So that was super concerning to me. Um, Definitely less explosive. But I also find I find Bryce as a college player to be. Gosh, I don't know if more instinctive. I don't know if any yeah. anybody to be more instinctive, and also just the ability to sort of make like super accurate throws in, under chaos. I, you know, I don't know if anybody's better than Bryce. Yeah, he has that gamer trait, and I love that. Like, there is definitely something extra with him there, and so I don't want to bet against him. Like, I would still draft him with some good confidence that like he's going to get the most out of his ability. It's almost like the Jalen Hurts conversation where it's like. Maybe you can be more. He doesn't have the top end traits that Jalen has, but like whatever you do have, I know you're going to get the most out of it. And I think that's absolutely a bare requisite um, if you're going to be drafting one of these guys in the top 10. So I like Young. I just think Stroud can potentially be a little bit more based off of, you know, not me not interviewing these guys. Sure. And I would look at Levis. Like Levis is the hardest. He's he's an interesting cat, man, because he's big and he's physical and and he's got some great traits. And he's really, I mean, he's a mobile kid too. I I would go back to remembering when they were using him at Penn State and maybe that was, you know, some lack of some poor coaching, but they were using him almost exclusively as a runner. Like, so he can do those things. He seems to have a little bit of that. Maybe I'm just comparing big white dudes. He seems to have a little bit of the the physical traits of a josh allen yeah he does and so where on the spectrum is he from like because daniel jones had some traits too Mm -hmm. and so where so and some of that just might be like you said where does he end up if you could tell me exactly where he's going to end up and if he gets a really good coach and a good offensive line and he will be given two three years to kind of work out and, and can he stay healthy that's another part of it too like he was not healthy this past season so you almost have to throw away his 2022 season yeah, and he didn't have a great supporting class, uh, uh, supporting uh, uh, group around him this past season. Uh, uh, Kentucky, usually a very good offensive line school, didn't have that this year. They were in major yeah. transition on at that position. For sure. So he's a tough eval, and I think that that you're going to be trusting more in your coaching staff because the physical talent is there. Like you should be able to get him to an average level if you're a good coaching staff. So like, you, you, and all these guys are going to be confident in themselves. But like, if you're going in with like a, a okay. Look at Buffalo with Josh Allen. They said, we know we're going to have Josh Allen under center for three or four years, period. I don't care what happens. He's our starter. If you can give me a franchise that's going to look at Levis and say, I'm giving you three years. I'll check back in three years. If he's just not happening at that point, maybe we'll revisit things. But I don't care anything that's going to happen in the next two years as long as like this staff is not totally incompetent. Like That's the type of situation you might need with him. And if he hits, yes he might be that next dude. So I don't blame teams for, t- I'd rather take the risk than not. Like, I mean, 
you only get like one shot at being a head coach for most of these coaches, maybe two. So you might as well roll the dice with a high upside guy. Um, from my standpoint, though, it's like we've seen the worst case scenario for him. The worst case scenario for him is he goes to the Giants circa four years ago, never has an offensive line, never has good receiver play, doesn't have great coaching. It's the Daniel um, Jones progression. Exactly. Yeah. He's probably not going to probably not going to overcome that. And it's not fair. But that's the reality of being in, in the NFL is that life isn't fair sometimes because some of these guys are dealt such bad hands. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting, the Levis thing and comparing him to Allen. And again, we do this with, you know, the white quarterbacks and the black quarterbacks sometimes. But I also can see, like, unless you watch college football a lot, it's still it it shocked people how how mobile and how athletic Allen was. But if you're somebody like me who covers college football and, and went to Laramie to watch Josh Allen play, like you're like, oh yeah, like he's 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 super light on his feet. Like he is absolutely a superstar athlete. And I suspect we'll see a little of that with Levis as he transitions to the NFL, where people won't realize, yeah, he's he's pretty fast and like pretty light on his feet, like the mobility part of his game, which probably wasn't even highlighted that much at Kentucky could end up being like a a much bigger weapon to a certain degree in the NFL, much like Daniel Jones too, has become that type of player. Absolutely. And so like, that's why like the 10, it's almost easier to do like the evals after the draft, because like, then you kind of have a better idea of like exactly where the fit is. I try to like, project towards what's not the very best case but like what is a reasonably good situation for this player to go into as a and then you know obviously things change quickly too where it's like you know malik willis goes to the titans seems like mike Vrabel hates the guy because the gm gets fired and then he benches him for a guy they picked up off the street a week ago in josh dobbs and it's like okay if i'd have known that a year ago i wouldn't have even you know, no offense to Willis, but it's like I wouldn't have really wasted my time yeah. doing a giant threat on him. It's like I'll revisit if he's Geno and in a couple of years he's starter somewhere. But it's like some of these things you just can't really account for. But you're trying to do the best that like you can. Like you said, like Levis was so impressive to me at Penn State. When I saw him there, I was like, oh, they should be playing this guy. You should play them over Sean Clifford. Like, no offense to Sean Clifford, but like from a guy who looks mostly at NFL stuff, it's like, I want the guy with the NFL potential, like to be a really good player. And like, Levis was very clearly that early on. Um, so I, I, I hope he does go to a situation that balances his skill set a little bit better. Um, and Kentucky, like you said, it just didn't have the chance because all those guys left after uh, 2021 and you know, they just didn't really have the, the guys to, to plug and play. Ian Wharton, you can find him on Twitter at NFL Film Study, and he does threads on all the top quarterbacks and sort of walks you through their best plays, their worst plays, and gives his thoughts. They're really excellent and fun and free. Uh, and you can also find him his work at Pro Football Network. Ian, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, taking a chance on me and coming on the show. I sort of like just cold called Ian and was like, "Hey, man, you want to come on the show?" And of course, and you delivered the goods. So I really, very much appreciate it. It's definitely my pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Life is full of ifs. If you see potential in every day, if you push for that promotion, and even bigger ifs like if you say, I do. If you can cash flow like a pro and get paid up to two days early, if you can safeguard against surprises and supercharge your savings, the if in life becomes less iffy. Regions Life Banking makes it possible. If you're interested. Let's talk about the if in life. Regents Bank, embrace the fit life. Regents Bank, member FDIC. 
And now, three now. First down. I have done a few rants on this show before about officiating and complaints about officiating, but I need to vent again after the AFC Championship game. To be clear, I'm not complaining about the officiating, even though the officiating did leave something to be desired between the Bills and the Chiefs. I'm complaining about the complaints because they have become far worse than the officiating itself. I've already got a rule about not tweeting about officiating because I have no desire to engage with the nonstop complaints, the majority of which are either uninformed, unobjective, or a combination of both. I'm getting to the point now of ditching my normal routine of using Twitter as a second screen while watching games, especially NFL games. So much of my timeline turns into people I follow complaining about officiating or, and this is much, much worse, People I follow, or me myself, being hammered by our followers about blown calls. We get posted screen grabs about, what about this holding call, or gifts of a missed block in the back? It's just so tedious. I don't know why some fans, if you don't want to even call them that at this point, bother watching the games. They seem far more interested in the officiating and getting outraged over it. Officiating could always be better, and it definitely could have been better last week in the AFC Championship game. You can't start the clock when it's not supposed to start. Botching simple game management stuff really undercuts credibility. But the NFL, or or, or maybe I should say football's officiating problem in general, is a symptom of a bigger issue. We're a country bursting at the seams with conspiracy theorists at this point and people who are convinced the world is out to get them. There is no amount of transparency, training, and education that can fix the fact that a growing number of people believe there is always something fishy going on. We live in a world where more than a few people thought DeMar Hamlin had died and was being hidden by the NFL and vaccine manufacturers. Aside from the conspiracy theorists, we also have better access to games as viewers than ever before. We've talked about this for years, but super slow-mo and a zillion camera angles and now all 22 film being available. We can see the game better than we ever have. I doubt the officiating has gotten worse. I just think we have more tools than ever before to allow viewers to spot the errors. And we make a bigger deal of the errors than ever before because, well, I think it goes back to my first point. We're just sort of a nation of victims and crybabies who can't accept losing or being wrong. I understand that missed calls and blown calls in sporting events can be incredibly impactful But to use the most recent game as an example, Cincinnati had the ball twice in the last, I think it was about six or seven minutes of the fourth quarter in a tie game. And in those two possessions, threw an interception and had to punt after a sack. Both times, tie game, drive, could have have driven to take the lead, maybe even driven to win the game on that last possession. And they failed to do so. I've always felt that blaming the refs, the officials, takes the players and coaches off the hook for their failings, and they have far more opportunities to impact the game. I don't think officiating has gotten worse. I think fans have gotten worse. Second down, 
as the Jim Harbaugh NFL rumors continue to rumble, I just want to remind you again of two points. A, I think if an NFL team really wants Harbaugh, and I've thought this all along, and is willing to give him the type of power and control that will satisfy him, he'll take an NFL job. If the Broncos want to hand Harbs the keys and have a GM either willing to share some power or work with a guy who was not the easiest to work with, I think he could very well still end up in Denver. B, this has been at every turn the last month or so of will he or won't he and what is going on with Harbaugh at every single turn. This has been part of a contract negotiation with Michigan. Third down, the open Alabama OC job has generated some news leading up to this recording and probably will afterwards. In fact, by the time you hear this, may may have actually found a, a, an offensive coordinator uh, to take over in Tuscaloosa for Nick Saban. Saban made a play for Ryan Grubbs, who did a really nice job at Washington last year. I'm always hesitant to say whether a coach got an offer because that can become a game of semantics and be used to manipulate a message that maybe a certain school or schools wants to get across or an agent or a coach. Anyway, it's pretty clear that Grubbs at least drew interest from the Tide. And there was conversations with Nick Staben, and ultimately he has decided to stay put. It's been nothing but good news for Washington in the past few months. A resurgent season, a final top 10 ranking, a boatload of key players coming back to school for next year. It's such a fascinating program. Capable of really high highs, but also falling off pretty hard and pretty fast. But the Huskies are on a heater right now, so enjoy it, you dub fans. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please follow so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening, and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.